If you found your place in the Gospel of Matthew, we are going to be continuing our series today that we're calling Getting Cozy with Sin. And if you haven't had the chance to uh, be a part of the first two messages, that the idea that we're talking about here is that so many times in Christians, in our lives, we've, we've let ourselves be okay with sin. We get comfortable. We get, we get cozy with sinful decisions, sinful actions, sinful choices. And we're talking about some of, those, some of those sins that maybe we're most likely to go, eh, I don't see the big deal. Uh, and so we, we talked last week about irritability and impatience and, and some of the things that God has to say about that. And then this week, we're talking about worry and anxiety. When I put the, the poll out on Facebook to, to just have people respond, uh, this was easily the number one um, sin that people said in the survey that they are most likely to allow in their life and be okay with. And so we're going to look at what Matthew chapter 6 has to say with regards to worry. This is Jesus speaking. He's in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, and this is what he says, Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 25. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what are we going to wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Every person in this room struggles with worry from time to time. We all have cares that weigh us down and all have things that we might have a tendency to wring our hands about a little bit. For some of us, maybe it's an occasional struggle, but for many of us, this is a daily battle. We worry, right? We, we get anxious. We worry about, well, our political situation. Maybe we look at, at this, in this presidential election, we look at the candidates that are out there, and we think, what in the world is going on in our country, and what will happen? We're concerned about the future. It's easy to worry. Maybe we worry about our children. We wonder what, what they're going to do, if they're going to make good choices, if they're going to work hard in school and go to college and get a job and marry the right person and, and, uh, and have enough grandkids and all those things. We can get, we can get worried uh, and anxious about those things. 
Maybe we worry about our security. Am I safe? We see terrorist attacks taking place all over the world. Maybe we're tempted to worry about our safety. Maybe it's a job situation or a financial situation. Things are tight and you wonder if if you're going to make it, if things are going to be okay. Maybe you worry about the state of Christianity and our faith in America as you continue to see our, our culture and our in our in our in, in just the way that our, the direction of our country is heading, and you think, well, will it be safe to be a Christian five or ten years from now? It's easy to find things to worry about, and worry can make you literally can make you physically ill, can make you physically sick if we're not careful and we let this take over in our life. And make you a difficult person to be around if you're constantly anxious. But even more importantly, a spirit of worry is in direct disobedience to God. And as we look at the words of our Savior Jesus Christ, He begins very clearly with a command, a command against worry. And that's the first point in the outline is that God's command against worry. Jesus, is, He starts off by saying, I tell you, Do not be anxious about your life. Do not be anxious. This word is a common word in the New Testament. It's used six times here in this passage. simply means to have anxiety, to be unduly concerned, uh, uh, to to be apprehensive about possible danger or misfortunes, to be gripped by, by this worry, this fear. Now, what Jesus is not speaking to is he's not saying don't have concerns. Listen, we, we all have things that we're concerned about, and, and that's okay. You may, you, your child may come home with an, with an awful report card, and you're concerned about their grades. You, you may not, it may not spill over into sinful worry, but you're concerned enough to, to say, okay, hey, we need to change some things. We're going to work on your study habits. Maybe you have a tutor. Maybe you spend a little extra time studying uh, for tests. But you're concerned, and that's, that's okay. Uh, the illustration we used in the very first week, maybe you, you get up one morning and you look in the mirror and you, you see a, a lump on your neck that you hadn't seen there before. Well, it's okay to be concerned to say, you know what, I need to make an appointment with my doctor and go get this checked out. That's, that's concern and that's, that's okay. Jesus isn't speaking to that. He's talking about being overly concerned. He's talking about letting this spill over into anxiety and fear to the point where you're not trusting the Lord. So when Jesus says, do not be, worried, do not, do not be anxious about your life, he's talking about an undue concern for our life. The, the word is in the imperative. So he's not giving us a suggestion here. He's not saying this maybe would be a good idea if you just thought about and considered not being. No, he says, don't be anxious. It's a command, it's an exhortation. As parents, when you tell your children to clean up the room, most of us don't say, well, if you feel like it, if you, you have some time today, it might be a good idea if you consider uh, picking up some of your toys. You say, no, go, go clean your room. Clean your room. And that's what Jesus, that's the language Jesus is using here. Lest we're tempted to think that worry is, is not a big deal, we need to remember that when Jesus commands us and, and gives us a, a, a marching orders, he's got a reason, he's got a purpose for doing so. 
He realizes that when we worry, we're affecting our walk with Him. Our witness to the world is affected. It affects our mood and our attitude toward one another. What we do when we worry is we take something that we usually can't change or control, usually, and blow it out of proportion so that it grips us and controls us. I read this week that a dense fog extensive enough to cover seven city blocks 100 feet deep is composed of less than one glass of water divided into 60,000 million droplets. In the right form, a few gallons of water can literally cripple a large city. You know, that's how it is with worry. We take something that's just small, it's just, just little, it's just seemingly insignificant, but it can literally cripple us. It can, it can completely change our mood, our day, and our walk with the Lord. Someone has said that worry is a thin stream of fear that trickles through the mind, which, if encouraged, will cut a channel so wide that all other thoughts will be drained out. Have you ever experienced that? You can't think about anything else. Your mind is so fixated on this. It keeps you awake at night. Well, that's not God's plan for us. That's not God's desire for us. And so we're going to talk about some, some, some real practical things that God can help us with here as far as we, as we battle the sin of worry. First of all, we just need to remind ourselves that, that worry is actually a sin. You know, we talked about the very first week, that sometimes we think of, of some of these things as just not a big deal. What's a little worry? What's a little gossip? What's a little irritability? These things are not a big deal. And that's why we let ourselves get comfortable with them. So here's a couple reasons why worry is a sin. First of all, worry is a sin because when we worry, we don't believe God's word. At the core, worry is unbelief. It's a lack of trust in God. It's in a sense, and we know better than this, but in a sense we're saying, God, I know what you say, I know what your word says, I know the promises, but I can't trust you right now. That's what it is. Worry is a lack of faith in your God. Have you ever had somebody in your life, and maybe, maybe it's, it's someone you love, and you can't take their word for things? It, it kind of stinks when you can't trust them. Even if it's simple, something as simple as, as showing up on time at a place. You say, they say to you, hey, let's have lunch on Tuesday at noon. And you know that you can arrive at 12.15, 12.20, maybe even 12.30, and they're still not going to be there. Because they've developed a reputation, right? You know that they're not, they're not good at keeping their word. Maybe it's something as small as, as arriving on time, but maybe it's a huge issue and a, and a major breach of trust. You can't take their word for it. Well, when we worry, we're saying God's like that. We're saying, God, I know that you've made promises in the Bible, and I know you've told me not to worry, and that you'll take care of my needs, and that you'll be with me, but that's not good enough right now. So I'm going to take this thing. Whatever it is, you pick, you know what it is in your heart, you know what you struggle with. I'm going to take this thing and I'm going to hold on to it. I'm going to try to figure it out and I'm going to be anxious. I'm going to have knots in my stomach and it's going to keep me awake at night. But doggone it, I'm going to take care of it because I can't trust you with it. That's what we're saying to God. Worry is a lack of faith. We don't believe God's word when we worry. And the second reason that it's a sin is because when we worry, we don't believe that God's in control. 
We don't believe that God's in control. You ever, did you ever have this experience when you were uh, in driver's ed and you were learning to drive of your driver's instructor reaching over to take the wheel? Any of you ever experienced that? You got to, a, you got to the point where you scared them enough where they said, uh-uh, that's it. Give me this thing. I am driving from here on out, and you can figure this out another day with another instructor. That's kind of what we do with God when, when, when we worry. We say, God, I don't believe that you have this vehicle under control. I don't believe you're taking it in the right direction. You're driving just a little too erratically for me, so I'm going to take a seat behind the wheel. When we worry, we are acting like we don't believe God's in control. And you know, it's kind of funny because worry really does not get us anywhere. When we think about it and process it logically, worry doesn't, doesn't move the process along at, at fixing the situation. In fact, verse 27 kind of, kind of brings that out. He says, which of you by being anxious can add a single hour to your span of life. You know, for some of us, uh, one of our great worries is maybe old age and death and and sickness. And he says, what good is worry going to do that? Can you actually add to your life by worrying and fretting? No. In fact, medically speaking, you, you may actually subtract from your life by spending a lot of time in worry. One writer said that worry is not a trivial sin because it strikes a blow both at God's love and God's integrity. Worry declares our Heavenly Father to be untrustworthy in His Word and in His promises, to avow belief in the inerrancy of Scripture, and in the next moment to express worry is to speak out of both sides of our mouths. Worry shows that we're mastered by our circumstances and by our own finite perspectives and our own understanding rather than by God's Word. Worry is therefore not only debilitating and destructive, but maligns and impugns God. You can see how serious this is when you step back and realize that worry is lack of trust in God and it's a lack of confidence in God's sovereignty. We realize that this is a big deal. And God wants us to deal with it in our lives. But the, second, the second thing that I want us to see from this passage is that God gives us some illustrations about worry. God's illustrations about worry. One of the great things about Jesus is that through his parables and in the midst of his teaching, he gave word pictures to help, help people like us be able to process the teaching that he was, he was giving. And so he gives us two pictures here from nature. His first illustration is the bird's. In verse 26, it says, Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? (laughs) What he's saying here is, he says, "Look look at these birds. You run around and you're freaking out and you're trying to figure things out and you're trying to get a handle on life. And, and he says, look at, look at these birds. He said, they're, they're little small creatures and yet they're fine. They don't, they don't have big barns, big storehouses. They don't have 401ks. They don't, they don't have a, a, a retirement plan. They're not trying to, to map out the, the next 10 years of their kids' education. They're, they're, they're fine. They don't run around freaking out. They, they, they go about, they find their food, 
in their content. He said, just take a look at the birds and realize that such a small, insignificant, seemingly insignificant creature is taken care of by Almighty God. Don't you think he'll take care of you too? The German reformer Martin Luther once wrote with a little wit. He said, you see, Jesus is making the birds our schoolmasters and teachers. It's a great and abiding disgrace to us that in the gospel, a helpless sparrow should become a theologian and a preacher to the wisest of men. Whenever you listen to a nightingale, therefore, you are listening to an excellent preacher. It's as if he were saying, I prefer to be in the Lord's kitchen. He has made heaven and earth, and he himself is the cook and the host. And every day he feeds and nourishes innumerable little birds out of his hand. And how much more so will this heavenly father want to take care of his own children? Secondly, he uses the flowers as an example, the lilies. He's probably speaking about the many wildflowers that would be abundant during the rainy season. Charles Spurgeon (laughs) said, Lovely lilies, how you rebuke our foolish nervousness. And that's what Jesus' point is here. He said, look in verse 27, 28. He said, why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. He says, take a look at these, these flowers. Uh, they don't work. They don't toil. They're not trying to labor to make themselves look beautiful. They don't, they don't fret and sweat. It's, it's, it just happens. He says they don't spin. That means he's talking about spinning clothing and weaving garments. They don't have to, they're not responsible for their, their own clothing. God just takes care of them. They look beautiful. I, I don't know how often you take time to, to stop and smell the roses. I'm not very good at growing flowers or taking care of them. My wife's been gone for a few days, and I'm afraid uh, there's some plants that might be a little um, sad when she gets home. But uh, they're gorgeous. Uh, I don't know a whole lot about flowers. I know I need to buy them periodically and bring them home, um, but, but I, I don't know that a lot of the details. But when you just, just stop and look at them sometimes, take a look at a, at a, at a Gerber daisy and a, and a rose and a, and a tulip, and just look at the different ways that God has designed them, the different, different uh, ways they feel and to the touch. I remember when my, I, I first went out and visited my soon-to-be wife in Southern California, and, and saw all the different uh, flowers that they had uh, there in Southern California that don't grow here. I, I saw for the first time a bird of paradise flower. Those, those things are beautiful, and they're, they're unique, and uh, our Savior and all of His wisdom formed and created just a whole host and variety of flowers that are incredibly beautiful that none of us could have ever dreamed of. And he says, if God took a plant and is taking care of their clothing and crafting and beautifying these, these, these aspects of his creation, how much more so is he going to take, the, take care of the part of his creation for whom his son died? You see, he even goes on and says in verse 30, he says, if God so clothes the grass of the field, he says, he says if God takes care of even the grass, now he's, so he's went from birds to flowers, and now he's even just, he said, God takes care of even the, the grass, which, which according to the, the verse, he says, which is today is alive and tomorrow is thrown in the oven. If God takes care of the grass that's going to be used for fuel, 
He says, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? He's arguing from a lesser to a greater thing. He says, if God is willing and able to take, some, take care of something as simple as the grass, won't he take care of you? You're much more important than grass or flowers or birds. Jesus takes something seemingly insignificant. And and he says, if God is willing to take care of this, he's going to take care of you. You think of a modern day example, uh, something from our culture. Uh, Maybe we could say, if God is willing to take care of U of M fans... He's willing to take care of you. If God even loves someone who cheers for the maize and blue, he's going to take care of you too. I don't know. Maybe that's a bad example. <laughs> Jesus' point here is he says, look around. Look how God cares for his creation. When was the last time you saw a bird starve to death? He said, listen, you are way more important than a bird. You're way more important than a flower and a blade of grass. You were created in the image of Almighty God. He sent His only Son, Jesus Christ, to pay for your sins. If He's going to take care of these things, He most certainly will take care of you. Verse 29 says that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of God's flowers. The greatest, wealthiest king that Israel had ever known still couldn't even dress himself up as beautifully as the flowers God creates. And he said, listen, I'm, in, I'm taking care of these things. I'm taking care of you as well. What a beautiful reminder. What a beautiful picture of God's loving care for his own. So then we have to look then at God's solution to worry. God's solution to worry. You've probably noticed this before, but when... See, uh, the Bible gets painted as a, pic, as a book of a bunch of do's and don'ts, mostly don'ts. And it's just a big rule book telling us all the things we can't do so we won't be happy. Listen, whenever Jesus commands us not to do something, he's always quick to follow it up with, with the replacement, with the exhortation of, well, this is, how you, this is not how you're supposed to live, but this is how I want you to live. And it's so much better. I mean, think back to a time when you've worried about something. Did you feel great missing a night of sleep, being anxious about it? Did that work really, really well? Are you, are you, you ready to write a book about the, the, the benefits of uh, intense anxiety and prolonged worry? None of, us, none of us feel good about that. And so God says, let me give you a better way. Let me, let me show you the right way. When you have cares, when you have burdens, let me show you what to do. And so he says in verse 31, Therefore don't be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? And, and you notice, it's just kind of a little parenthesis here, notice the, the burdens that, that are on their heart in first century Israel. Food, I want, I, where am I going to get my meal? Drink and clothing. It's interesting the types of things that that we get anxious about in the 21st century versus what, was, what they were anxious about in the 1st century. Um, 
you know, there, there was often a shortage of food. I mean, if, if, if you had a bad, you know, we've had a pretty dry summer. Thank the Lord for rain today. We've had a pretty dry summer. You know, if, if you have a, a bad year of crops in, in the first century, um, like there's a chance you may not have any food. Like you may starve to death that winter. I mean, it, it's, it's a big deal. People, and in, in many parts of the world today, are anxious about, there's no grocery stores, there's no places where, where we can just go and, and buy produce or, and buy food anytime we want. That uh, was a real concern. He says about what you could drink, you know, in an in a arid, in a, in a deserty type climate, finding good, clean water was a big deal. Most of us can turn on and have safe drinking water out of the tap. If not, we can go buy bottled water at the store with no, no problem. That's not a worry for us. And he says clothes. Um, most of the time in the, in the first century, you only had one or two sets of clothes. You might have one set of clothes that you wore daily and another heavier cloak that you would put on on cold days. Most of us have clothes that, that we've never even worn before that are in our, in our closet that we just we, we don't even see. I mean, we have, we, have, we have plenty of clothes. Most of us weren't trying to choose between two outfits to wear to church this morning. Which one am I going to pick? Uh, you know, my winter outfit or my summer outfit? Most of us have clothes to wear. And our anxieties and worries are, are about other things, usually. And so these cares and concerns burdened them. But even as real as they were, Jesus said, don't let them weigh you down. And so verse 32, he says, the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. He said the Gentiles, what the idea is, is that, that a non-Christian is, they're going to obsess about these things. They're going to make these things the, the focus of their life. He said, I don't want you to do that. God knows you need them. God knows what your needs are. He knows the things that you and I are burdened down with. He knows the cares that we have. He's going to take care of us. And so verse 33, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. As we think about God's solution to worry, the first thing that I want to challenge you with is to trust in the promises of God, to trust in the promises of God. Remember, we said earlier, worry is a lack of faith in what God has said. It's a refusal to believe His Word. And so we need to, to, to go the other direction and choose to believe His Word and depend upon His promises. What promises do you need to believe today? What is weighing your heart down? What are you most prone to be anxious about? Your finances, your kids, your, your relationships? What, what weighs you down? Go to God's Word, find out what Scripture says, and then fall upon the Word of God. Believe it. And whenever you're tempted to take it back and think, nah, I, just, I, I just don't know, go back. Read, memorize God's promises. Maybe one of them will touch a nerve with you. When I'm anxious about a meeting or a difficult conversation I need to have with someone, battle the unbelief with the promise from Isaiah 41.10, Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will help you, I will strengthen you, I will uphold you with my victorious right hand. When I'm anxious about my ministry being useless and empty, I can fight, 
unbelief with the promise of Isaiah 55:11. So shall my word that goes forth from my mouth, it will not come back to me empty, but it will accomplish that which I purpose and will prosper in the thing for which I sent it. Maybe I'm anxious about being too weak to do my work, having a mountain that seems too insurmountable. Battle unbelief with the promise of Christ. From 12, uh, 2 Corinthians 12.9, My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in your weakness. Maybe you're anxious about decisions you have to make about the future. Battle unbelief with the promise of Psalm 32.8, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Maybe you're anxious about those who are opposing you. Battle unbelief with the promise of Romans 8.31, If God is for us, who can be against us? Maybe it's finances. You're anxious about finances, wondering where this month's mortgage payment is going to come from. Battle unbelief with the promise of Philippians 4.19 that my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Maybe you're burdened with the care of your health and you're anxious about being sick. Battle unbelief with the promise of Romans 5, 3 through 5, that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character. Character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts by the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. (laughs) Maybe you're anxious about growing old. Battle unbelief with the promise of Isaiah 46, 4, Even to your old age, I am he, and to gray hairs, I will carry you. I have made, and I will bear, I will carry, and I will save. Maybe you're anxious about dying. Death concerns you. Battle your doubt with the promise of Romans 14, 8 through 9. None of us lives to himself, and none of us dies to himself. If we live, we live to the Lord. If we die, we die to the Lord. So whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and rose again, that he might be the Lord of the dead and the living. I challenge you this morning, trust and believe the promises of God. And then the second second way in which we need to look at God's solution to worry is to seek the kingdom of God. Seek the kingdom of God. Jesus tells us here, seek first the kingdom of God. Rather than seeking first all of these things that that could cause you worry and cause you anxiety and cause you just to be burdened down, he says, no, no, set those aside and rather seek first God's kingdom. You could spend a lot of time talking about what the, what the kingdom of God is, but I believe that what he's saying here is by, by referring to the kingdom of God is God's kingdom is the saving reign of God. It's the, it's the rule over his people and his blessing and his commands. And so he says, I want you to seek that first. Before you get tied up in anything, set your heart and your mind and your affections all upon the kingdom of God. Of God. When when we make it a priority to put God first and His purposes and His His will, these other things will begin to fade away. When it's my priority to spread the word of God, 
to minister and serve to people, my worries begin to dissipate. You know, have you, have you ever just, in a time when you were struggling or burdened, just gotten involved in helping somebody? Using your gifts to love and to be a blessing and to serve somebody, meeting needs, maybe of those less fortunate than you, you probably found that, that your problems begin to just not be such a big deal. That's the idea of seeking first the kingdom of God. When rather than getting up in, in the morning and making the first thing that you do, checking Facebook and checking the news and seeing all the bad news that's out there and all the awful things that are happening in people's life, when you make it a priority to open up God's Word first and to meditate on Scripture and to, and to spend time talking to Him, casting those burdens and cares on Him, you're seeking first the kingdom of God. And the beauty of what he says here is that he says, when you do that, verse 33, then all these things will be added to you. God has this miraculous ability, and I guess we just need to chalk it up to him being God, is that he can take care of things that I can't. And when I put priorities in the right order and when I seek him first, he begins to put these other things into place. So I can stop freaking out about my kids, I can stop freaking out about my finances, I can stop obsessing about, about clothes or popularity or a relationship or whatever it is that's consuming me, and I can seek Him first, and I can trust that He's going to begin to put the other issues in my life into proper order. Because God always, always, always honors obedience. And when we're faithfully walking with Him, trusting Him, and, and putting our hope in Him, the other things begin to fall into place. It doesn't mean we don't have concerns. It doesn't mean we don't have cares. 1 Peter 5, 7 is another beautiful verse about this. It says, cast all your cares upon Him because He cares for you. Notice implicit in that verse is that you have cares to cast on Him. We're, we're all going to have cares. Everybody in this room are, are carrying things or dealing with things that, that none, none of the rest of us know about. We're all going to have cares. It's what you do with them that matters. And rather than being anxious and fretting and, and, and worrying about them, I cast them to God. I give them to Him. I seek first His kingdom. And He says, all these things will be added unto you. That means I just need to stop and regularly just do a, a checkup in the, throughout the day. Stop and ask yourself, what, what is the most important thing in my life right now? What am I obsessing about? What am I focusing on? What am I concerned about? And then ask yourself, am I giving that to God? Have I, have I been casting that on Him? And then we need to ask, am I actively seeking God's rule being worked out in my life? Am I seeking first the kingdom of God? If I seek God's kingdom, no one can take that from me. I want to add, too, that these promises of God's care are given to His children, to Christians. I want to say, if you're here this morning, if you never, have never trusted in Christ as your Savior, I want to be a Debbie Downer, but, but these, these promises are, are not for you. God is, has not promised to take all of your cares and anxieties because he's promised those to his children. So my challenge to you then is become one of his children. Trust Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Put your faith in Christ's finished work on your behalf. 
so that you can go to him in a time of need and turn to him. Missionaries Dick and Margaret Hillis were caught in China during the Japanese invasion. The couple lived with their two children in the inland town of Shenku. The village was tense with fear, and every day brought terrifying reports of the Japanese advance. At the worst possible time, Dick developed appendicitis. He knew his life depended upon making the long journey by rickshaw to the hospital. On January 15, 1941, with deep foreboding, his wife Margaret watched him leave. Soon the Chinese colonel came with the news that the enemy was near and the townspeople must evacuate. Margaret shivered, knowing that one-year-old Johnny and two-month-old Margaret Ann would never survive as refugees, so she stayed put. Early the next morning, she tore the page from the wall calendar and read the New Day's scripture. It was Psalm 56.3. It said this, When I am afraid, I will trust in you. The town emptied during the day, and the next morning, Margaret arose, feeling abandoned. The new verse for that day on the calendar was Psalm 9, 10. You, O Lord, have not forsaken those that seek you. The next morning, she arose to the distant sounds of gunfire and worried about food for her children. The calendar verse that day was Genesis 50, verse 21. I will nourish you and your little ones. An old woman suddenly came to the door of their house with a pail of steaming goat's milk. Soon another straggler arrived with a basket of eggs. Throughout the day, sounds of warfare grew louder, and during the night, Margaret prayed for deliverance. The next morning, she tore the page from the calendar to read Psalm 56, 9. When I cry to thee, then my enemies shall turn back. The battle was looming closer, and Margaret didn't go to bed that night. Invasion seemed imminent. but The next morning, all was quiet. Suddenly, villagers began returning to their homes, and the colonel knocked on her door. For some reason, he told her, the Japanese had withdrawn their troops. No one could understand it, but the danger had passed, and they were safe. When we're tempted to worry, we... Always have a choice. Choose to hold on to it, to fret and to be anxious, or we can cast that care upon the one who cares more for your soul than you'll ever imagine. My challenge today is we think about some of the sins that we get cozy with and get comfortable with. Let's not let anxiety and worry be one of those. And when that temptation arises, cast it upon the Lord. Go to Him In faith, believe his word and his promises, and above all, seek first his kingdom. And I believe that he'll take care of the rest. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, I know that in our midst here, there there are some cares and some burdens that are great. Sometimes we worry about about things that really are quite stupid and quite foolish. But some of us have fears and concerns and worries that are really, really a big deal. Maybe a life and death situations, maybe a a marriage on the rocks or a relationship that's falling apart, a health concern. 
prodigal child. God, we need you to help us remember every day, probably many times throughout the day, to cast these burdens on you. Lord, we know that you care for our souls, and we know that you're infinitely trustworthy. Help us not to doubt that. Give us faith to believe your word, believe promises of Scripture, and let us keep coming back to them over and over and over again, memorizing them, sticking them all over our house and on the dashboard of our cars so that we don't forget them, so that we'll cling to the promises and the truths of Scripture. Lord, we know that that's a far better way than worry and anxiety and fretting, sleepless nights and stomach ulcers. God, I come before you today and ask that you would draw us close to you. Help us, first of all, to admit this sin of anxiety or worry if, if, if we've allowed it to be a problem in our life, and that we would seek you above all else, that you would calm our hearts from all fears, as we trust in you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen.